Chapter 14 of The Oceans of Air, Meteorology for Beginners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Miles. The Oceans of Air, Meteorology for Beginners by Agnes Jeburn. About Evaporation. Chapter 14 About Evaporation If there were no water vapor hidden away in the secret recesses of the ocean of air, we should not only have no dew, no clouds, no rain, we should not only see all green things wither for lack of moisture, but also the sun would shine down upon us with a fierce and glaring heat, such as now we can hardly even imagine. The veil of floating moisture in the atmosphere acts in two ways as a protection. It shelters us from excess of heat and also from excess of cold. It keeps off some of the sun's burning glare from us, and it also keeps in a great deal of the earth's warmth for us. As a screen, it gently dims the glare and steals some of the heat from the traveling sunbeams. The tiny particles of invisible water help greatly to tone down the fierce straight radiance of the king of day, but perhaps the work which is done by the vapor at night is even more important. All day long the ground gathers heat from the sun's rays as they beat downward, and when the sun disappears, the stored-up warmth begins at once to pour itself out into space. If there were then no floating vapor above to act as a sheltering screen, the ground would lose its heat with very great speed, and the suddenness of the chill would be fearful. The shielding vapor prevents this, like a soft, unseen blanket holding in the earth's warmth. We all know how much warmer we feel on a cloudy night than on a clear night. The clouds act as a visible blanket or counterpane, radiating back to earth its escaping heat. If there are no clouds, the ground loses warmth far more rapidly though even then there is always the soft fine veil of vapor one of earth's outer garments a man walking up a mountain or rising in a balloon will find certain differences in the ocean of air as he ascends if he has with him the right instruments for testing the state of the atmosphere he will find that the air has grown more thin or rare he will find that it has grown colder he will find that it has grown drier on the summits of great mountains the glare of sunshine is often almost overpowering even while the frost is so intense that the sun's rays are powerless to melt the snow one reason for the dazzling glare is that the air contains there much less vapor than at lower levels the shielding screen of vapor has grown thin and poor the floating vapor is not only more in amount below than above, it also varies exceedingly in different places, and it keeps on varying. Sometimes the air around us is damp, sometimes dry, sometimes it is wringing wet, sometimes parching. These changes we know from our own sensations. Everything wet or moist on earth gives off gentle streams of vapor into the air, more or less abundant streams according to its degree of warmth. Day and night, summer and winter, the air is at work, receiving or drinking up water from seas and rivers, ponds and streams, clouds and fogs, earth and grass, plants and animals, in short, from all damp surfaces of every imaginable kind and description.
there are a few solid substances which steadily give off their material somewhat after the fashion of liquids a lump of camphor for instance wastes slowly away growing smaller as its particles pass into the air all liquids dry up slowly or fast if there were no air they would still dry up at the same rate or even more rapidly we may talk and talk truly in a sense of the air taking in or drinking up moisture but the air does not cause evaporation a damp surface evaporates of itself and the air receives the particles of water as they leave the damp surface this is constantly going on where water is to be found there as a rule a soft vapor creeps gently away into the atmosphere the same thing happens though this is less generally known with water in the solid form both ice and snow evaporate creeping slowly away particle by particle sometimes a whole slight fall of snow will vanish thus without any apparent thaw more commonly the fall is too heavy or the thaw comes too soon for this gentle drying up to be noticed so the air is ever at work taking in moisture from every possible quarter until full only until full air will not hold unlimited supplies of hidden vapor it will only hold a certain amount just so much and no more directly air is well soaked saturated is the right word it refuses to take in another particle then evaporation grows languid and perhaps even ceases a laundress knows well from sad experience the difference between drying her clothes on a fine day and on a wet day she may be ignorant of the scientific cause but she is aware of the fact one week she hangs out her rows of wet garments and a soft dry wind sweeps past stealing all the moisture out of them with delightful rapidity another week she leaves them to hang for hours and the damp motionless air has almost no effect except indeed to hinder evaporation after hours of exposure the clothes are scarcely less wet than when first put out as she tersely expresses it they won't dry but the garments are not willful the cause lies in the overladen condition of the air already so full of vapor that it can receive no more a wind is always good for drying purposes the air around the wet clothes takes in some of the moisture becomes saturated and declines any more if no breeze stirs the soaked air remains hanging about the clothes and drying is at a standstill but if a wind blows the wet air passes on and fresh dry air comes to carry off further supplies of vapor and to be in its turn speedily replaced thus the work proceeds merrily if you hold a sponge over a basin of water letting it touch the surface the water will soak upward into the sponge till the latter is full and can hold no more just so with the atmosphere it hangs like an enormous sponge over all water surfaces and the moisture soaks upward into the air till it is full there is of course a difference a sponge draws the water up into itself by means of what is called capillary attraction the air does not draw up vapor but merely receives the vapor which passes off from water still there are points of resemblance for instance the drier a sponge the more water it can hold and the drier the air the more rapid evaporation is found to be 
This drying process goes on over the whole world, even in the far north and the far south, where ice and snow reign supreme, the same continues. The surfaces of ice and snow are passing slowly away into the atmosphere. In our temperate regions, we are perpetually aware of the fact of evaporation. More particularly, it is apparent in hot and dry summers. Then streams vanish and rivers fall low, ponds disappear and springs fail. But it is in more southern lands and seas that evaporation is seen in full vigor. The Mediterranean Sea is almost enclosed by land, having only one narrow opening into the outside ocean through the Straits of Gibraltar. The whole of South Europe and the whole of North Africa are drained into the Mediterranean, countless streams and rivers pouring thither by day and night their volumes of water gathered from surrounding tracts of country. Under these circumstances, when we picture to ourselves what is meant by such a watershed, we should certainly expect to find a current flowing from the Mediterranean into the outer ocean through the Straits of Gibraltar. But no, the drying up of the surface of the Mediterranean is so enormous that apparently it more than balances the mighty influx of rivers from north and south, east and west. A steady, sometimes a very powerful, current sets in from the Atlantic through the Straits to keep the Mediterranean surface level with the ocean outside. Water always seeks persistently to maintain everywhere the same level. It can never rest for an instant with a slanting surface. The smallest inequality means an immediate flow of water from the higher to the lower part, and the greater the inequality, the more rapid will be the balancing rush. So long as the Mediterranean is joined to the ocean, though by only one inlet, its surface must be level with that of the ocean. If its river and rain supply is greater than its drying up, a stream must pour out to the ocean. If its drying up is greater than its river and rain supply, a stream must flow in from the ocean. If the two are exactly equal, no stream need pass either way. Since we find a stream setting in from the ocean, we judge that more water dries up from the surface of the Great Sea than is supplied by all the vast expanse of land and rivers to north and south, not to speak of the rainfall on the sea itself. There may be, however, a further complication in the shape of a probable undercurrent flowing outward as the upper current flows in, so we must not speak too positively. Along the shores of India, careful experiments have been made to test the amount of evaporation. It is found that about three-quarters of an inch in depth daily passes upward from the whole sea surface. This, if carried on equally all the year round, would give an annual drying up of over 21 feet in depth. Even if, allowing for inequalities, we put the quantity at 15 or 18 feet, it is startling enough. Some mighty power must be at work to lift this tremendous weight of water out of the ocean. When one pictures what is meant by a mass of water 15 feet in depth and hundreds of miles in extent, one gains some dim idea of the force which is needed to bring about such a result. On earth no such force exists. If our earth stood alone in the universe, this vast upheaving of ocean waters into the atmosphere would not be accomplished. When we see the steam which pours from a kettle or a boiler changing fast into white mist, we know well enough what force is at work. It is the force of heat. 
The glowing fire has caused the water to boil, driving it forth as steam into the air. In the drying up of waters upon earth, in the evaporation of ocean surfaces, heat is again the working power. The sun is the fire which supplies the needed heat. The heat supplied by the sun enters into the water, drives its particles farther apart, and causes it to rise gently as invisible vapor into the air. The heat which works on earth as fire all comes from the sun. If no sun had ever shone in the heavens, we could have on earth no burning coals, no flaming gases. In earlier chapters, it has been explained how combustion may be either a quick or a slow process. Quick, giving out much heat in a short time. Slow, giving out the same amount gradually in a longer time. When combustion springs from earthly fire derived from the sun, it is generally more sharp and quick. When the sun acts directly, the combustion is more usually calm and slow. The same difference is seen in the changing of water into vapor. It may be a quick or a slow process, giving out much heat or little heat in a short time. If the transformation is brought about by earthly heat derived from the sun, but acting by earthly methods, it is short and sharp, much heat is given out, and the water rushes away in scalding steam. But if the great sun himself does the work, acting directly on the water, he does it softly, calmly, with no fuss or flutter. The transformation takes place in silence, and the giving out of heat is gentle because gradual. End of chapter 14